Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. In the Tennessean newspaper this past Sunday, there was a full-page article, full-page advertisement, that was paid for by an organization in Arkansas, which announced the future of America in the sense of destruction, and announced that Nashville, Tennessee would be the first city that would be destroyed. And, uh, and it told about why they felt that way, uh, even to the point of act, talking about Scripture to relate to that and the coming uh, end of our country as we know it. And uh, it frightened a lot of people. And in fact, the newspaper was forced this morning to issue an apology for running the ad and um, basically just kind of groveled to the people saying, we're sorry we ran this. We'll find out who is responsible for allowing this to happen and deal with that. But it kind of made me think that if we had just one week to live, what would we do? If we had one week to live, what would we say? Well, there's interesting scripture in regards to that in the book of Mark, chapter 10, beginning in verses 17 through verse 40. The Lord Jesus Christ was at the end of his life, as far as this earthly life was concerned, In the last days of his life, he made three great statements, and he tied them to three interesting stories. And these stories um, present discussions that Christ had in his last journeys toward Jerusalem with individuals that represented various segments of society, married people, children, rich men, future leaders in the kingdom, and the physically handicapped. All that was in chapter 10. Now, following the situation that he talks about blessing the children in, uh, in Mark chapter 10, he begins in verse 17 with these words, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running, and kneeled to him, and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? The first problem that we're addressing here in this passage of Scripture is the problem of what is eternal life? How do I get it? The problem with eternal life. That's what he, the, the, this man was asking the Lord about. How can I inherit eternal life? Now, this is a striking com- comparison in contrast to what he talked about to the children, that they come to the Lord in childlike faith. This individual is described as... Um, a one that came running and kneeled to him. When you see the companion story in, in Luke's gospel, the Bible portrays him as rich and young, and he was a ruler. It's interesting that the Bible says in Mark 10 that he ran and kneeled. And that's not customary to kneel to a rabbi, but to the Lord alone. And then he tells him uh, in verse 18, and Jesus said to him, Um, or he talks to him in verse 17, good master, and Jesus um, comes back to him and says, why callest thou me good? Now, when he says to him, good master, that's a sincere expression. He's letting him know that he's a teacher and he's good, which means that he had moral goodness. There was something about him where he, in a sense, mastered spiritual um, perfection. And that he had, he had attained all that. But in verse 17, that question he gives, what shall I do? He assumed that he had the ability 
but just lacked the confidence or the guidance to know what to do. But when Jesus talks to him back, answers him back, he says to him, there's none good but God. Jesus was implicating his own deity this. In other words, if you call me good, there's none good but God. So do you know who you're talking to? And um, so if only God is good, would the young man realize that he was looking at God himself? That's a remarkable thought. Jesus next lists him commandments 5 through 10 when he says to him, Do you know the commandments? Thou shalt not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. That's commandments 5 through 12. It's interesting that in this passage of scripture, when he says to, when he addresses him the second time, he just refers to him as master. He dropped the word good. And um, so Jesus gives a reply in verse 20, when he answered and said to him, Master, all that I have, I have observed, all these I have observed from my youth. Now he's letting him know that he's not saying this necessarily out of self-praise, but out of personal disappointment. In other words, he was saying, I've done all this, I've done all these things, but I still don't have confidence. And so many people are like that. They say, well, I've read the scripture, I've prayed, I've, I've been baptized, I've done all these things, but yet I still don't have confidence that I really know the Lord or what's going to happen to me if life should end. And so he lets him know a very interesting statement. I told you there are some important statements in this passage of Scripture. And here's this first one. One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever thou hast, give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come, take up thy cross, and follow me. One thing thou lackest. That's an amazing expression. In other words, if we could think, I only have one thing that I lack, wow, I would be pretty uh, pretty happy with that if there was only just one thing. I can't think that. Well, that's not too hard. And probably the man was thinking that when he heard the Lord Jesus talk, well, one thing you lack. Oh, okay, I can handle that. Give me that one thing and I'll correct that. But he's not saying that it's just one thing in the sense of being one easy thing. But what he lacked was... Not anything have to do with his personal virtue. In other words, how much he's given, what he's done, who he is, things along that line. But he's saying you lack a single-hearted devotion. In other words, if you lack that single-hearted devotion to God, thou shalt love the Lord with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And when you think of that, the man is probably thinking, oh, one thing I lack. And the Lord is letting him know you do not have a single-hearted devotion to me. You've got all these other things going. You've got wealth, you've got influence, you've got this and that. And what I want is a single-hearted devotion. And so he gives him a remedy. And this is a difficult one. It's almost a double command. He says, you go your way, sell what you have, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, and here's the second part of it. Come, take up the cross, and follow me. So he's letting him know you need to go, sell, and you need to give, and then you need to come. The wealth in his mind took the place of God in his heart. The command was not always given like this in other places where people would come, but the Lord knew his heart, and he knew what he needed to do 
as far as his um, single-hearted devotion to the Lord. And so he must give that up, which has surpassed God's place in his life. And when you think about your own life, is there one thing or two things that have come between you and really serving the Lord like you should? Or you and giving your heart to Christ? Is there one thing that you're hanging on to that say, Lord, you can have this and this and this, but this one thing I'm going to hang on to. And a lot of people have that issue in their lives. And then he tells him, come, follow me. In other words, give God the rest of your life. Okay, up to this point, you've been okay as far as you've been good. You've done all the commandments, but you've lived your life for yourself. You've lived your life to accumulate wealth and so forth. So for the rest of your life, come and follow me. Take up the cross and follow me. He invited him to a life of continued fellowship with the God of heaven. And yet the Bible tells us in verse 22, and this is a very sad passage of scripture. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. He felt, and the Lord felt sorrow and disappointment with what was going on. The Bible tells us in verse 23, and Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? In other words, the Lord was letting him know, letting the disciples know who were witnessing this conversation. Look, it's tough. It's difficult. And in this situation, um, it was just too costly in this guy's mind. And so he felt the sorrow and he saw the disappointment and he went away grieved. You realize this is probably the only time in the scripture when the Lord says, follow me, and it failed to win a positive response. For this man, the demands were just too costly. And they always are costly. When you give your life to Christ, it is costly, but the rewards are great. But then second, we skip down to verse 28 of this passage of Scripture, and we find the second of these uh, great statements or and the deal with the problems that we face as we look to what would we be like facing only one life to live or what would we say or do? And that's the problem with wealth and reward. Wealth and reward. Because in verse 28 of Mark 10, we find these words, And Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all, and we have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that have left home, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake and the gospel. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brethren, and sisters, mothers, children, lands, persecutions, and the world to come. But many that are first shall be last, and the last first. When we look at this passage of Scripture, we find there's a problem that Peter brings up about wealth and reward. Peter acknowledges, he said, look, we've left everything. We've left all. We've followed. In other words, the rich man didn't do this. And so basically he's letting him know, what then should we have? What, what are we supposed to have? And in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 19, verse 27, that we have that question asked, so what's in it for me? What am I going to have? And James and John were, were arguing with the Lord, who's going to be first? And what's the position? What's the reward I'm going to get when I get there? The disciples are still thinking in terms of material rather than spiritual um, riches. And the reply that Jesus 
gives them falls under the categories of home, relatives, and property. In this situation, in this passage, life or the giving up of my life is not mentioned because no one at this point had yet faced martyrdom. So the Lord tells him, though, there's a payback. And he says that there's a hundredfold. In other words, the highest degree of return you could ever hope for. And he lets them know it's going to be now and later. The experience of persecutions would accompany experiences of rewards. When we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, certainly he had the persecutions, the beatings, and the jail time, and all the various things he had to endure for the gospel's sake. But yet there were great rewards, great rewards of churches that were started, people who came to know the Lord, and the blessing of ministry that he had all those years. But then we come down to verse 31, and then he says this, And many that are first shall be last, and the last first. Priority is not based on time or self-seeking service, but simply on the ground of confidence in God and love for him. In other words, there's nothing I really can do and um, if, I, if I'm just self-seeking and I want to be first, but yet the Lord says, no, uh, the first will be last, and the last shall be first. My confidence has to always be in what God expects of me, not what the world would expect or desire. So now we have a third problem that comes up in verse 35, and that's the problem of position. Problem of position. In verse 35 of Mark's Gospel, the Bible says this, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we desire. Now, that's an amazing thing. Can you imagine your children coming to you as a parent and say, I want you to promise to give me whatever I ask. That's kind of the way that James and John were coming to the Lord. And the Lord very graciously said to them, in verse 36, What would you have that I should do for you? And they said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand, the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. Now, this is an unusual request. Now, these, these two guys, James and John, were part of what we call the inner three. Peter was the other, and yet they, want to, they wanted to bind the Lord in advance a special request that they had for their position in eternity. So Jesus then turned around and asked them what he should do for them. And so he does in verse 36 that we read. But then we find out in verse 38, Jesus said to them, and I can almost imagine Jesus saying this as a parent would to a child, you don't know what you ask. He says, can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, we can. And Jesus said to him, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized, with all shall ye be baptized. In other words, the Lord was telling him, Are ye able to deal with the sufferings as well as the joy? The idea of baptize or wash or dip, completely submerged. In other words, you'd be a little bit overwhelmed if I told you what all you're, have, you're going to have to suffer for my name's sake. And then he says, Are you willing to drink? In other words, Are you willing to take this voluntarily? The Lord's not going to force it down your throat, but this is something that you're going to take voluntarily and uh, realize the blessing of doing that in, in serving the Lord. And so it's an amazing passage there that he gives 
um, when we think of the fact that he says, are you willing to be to be baptized, to drink, to do it voluntarily, and these sufferings will come from the outside. He said, there's going to be things that are going to happen to you that's going to be pretty bad. And then when they say, well, yeah, we can, he says that in verse 39. Well, James was martyred. We find that out in Acts chapter 12. John, the Bible tells us the fact that, that he was persecuted and he was banished from the island of Patmos. And he had some severe treatments as a result of that. So we look back over this passage of Scripture. It comes on the heels of the idea, of if we only had one week to live, what would we do? What would we say? Jesus had these three remarkable statements, remarkable situations, with three stories, three conversations to go along with that. One was to a lost person. Two were to the saved, the disciples. All three had to do with our willingness to put Christ first. Are you bound to the temporal parts of life? Do we have to examine everything that happens to us on a day-to-day basis? And to kind of think of our, of our whole demeanor, our whole attitude toward life is based upon just these, these uh, things that happen on a daily basis that we cannot even control. All of us would like to succeed, but few are willing to pay the price to lay it all out for Christ. And so we ask that question that the Lord Jesus asked this rich young ruler, one thing you lack, in other words, the one thing you do lack. And if we would think of that to ourselves, what is it that we lack? The courage to be able to live a life for Christ? The dedication to give the Lord Jesus Christ everything that we, we are? Uh, do we really know the Lord in salvation? Have we trusted Christ as our personal Savior? Are we confident that, that's, that we've done that in our hearts? Generations of the past have put us to where we are today. What are we going to do from here? And that was kind of the idea that, that Jesus was giving to this ruler. He said, I want you to go, I want you to sell, and I want you to come. In other words, you look at your life in the past and you've done all these good things. You've followed these commandments, but you're still not happy. You're still not confident in eternal life. So you need to do this to show devotion to Christ and then come. Follow me. And we have to kind of think of that like in terms of baseball. When I used to play Little League and high school and so forth, that you stand up or somebody says, okay, it's now time for you to step up to the plate. And step up to the plate means now it's your time to be able to show that what the Lord means and, and to be able to do something with that. Not sit on the sidelines and wait for somebody else, but ask the Lord to help me to do what I should do for him today. I hope you'll think about that as you read maybe in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, these last statements in this last week of our Lord Jesus Christ's life. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.